Hi, everybody, and welcome to this Fresh Reels podcast. My name is Natalie Pessinger-Kearney, and I'm deputy head of the firm's EU regulatory and public affairs practice based in Brussels. And today's episode is the first in a series that will look at the European Commission's proposed regulation on artificial intelligence that has just been published. This is the first legislative framework to be put on the table and has the potential to really set the tone for other jurisdictions as they also look to put some regulatory parameters around the development and use of AI. If you are interested in finding out more about this topic, as well as listening to this podcast, you can find further resources available on our website, which we will be updating regularly with more insights from around the firm. I'm very excited today to be joined by two colleagues who will share some of their initial takeaways on the Commission's draft proposal. The first is Andrew Austin. Andrew is a partner in our London office and has been part of two EU groups that have been looking at these issues, the Commission's expert group on liability and new technologies and the Consumer Safety Network subgroup on AI and other emerging technology. Welcome, Andrew. Uh, Hi, Natalie. Next up is Christoph Werkmeister, a partner in our Dusseldorf office. Christoph has been notably advising clients on AI projects, in particular in areas such as autonomous driving, big data analytics and biometrics. Welcome to you too, Christoph. Hi there. So as I said, this podcast will form part of a short series of dedicated episodes, all examining different aspects of the regulation, what to look out for and the various impacts on sectors and business models. Today, we want to really look at some of the initial key highlights and themes that we see emerging from the draft proposal. So, Andrew, the Commission has talked a lot about a risk-based approach to AI. What do you think that will mean in practice? So, the Commission has made a big deal about taking a risk-based approach. So, higher risk use cases of AI are regulated more strictly. In fact, in in, in terms of one of the, the four categories of risk which the regulation focuses on, unacceptable risks, use cases which fall within that category are banned entirely. That, that would be, for example... AI that exploits kids, uh, AI that uses subliminal techniques to adversely influence consumer behaviour and cause harm, uh, and also that covers most uses of live biometric identification by law enforcement bodies, the police, when they're used in public places. And that's the first uh, reflection we see in the regulation of something which is a bit of an obsession for the EU, certainly for the European Parliament, which is the use of live biometric ID. The category of risk which is of most relevance, I think, to uh, businesses is the high risk category. And that covers a range of uses which could threaten fundamental rights, uh, human rights, or which could uh, harm safety. And high risk use cases are those which fall into one of two buckets under the regulation. So the first would be those which are covered by existing EU safety legislation, for example, rules on cars and medical devices and machinery. Uh, And the second would be uh, use cases which don't fall within recognised safety legislation, but which are listed in Annex 3 to the regulation. So again, biometric identification, uh, things like the use of AI uh, in an employment context, for example, for making decisions on recruitment and promotion. And for all of those high-risk use cases, that, that there are two things really. The first is that products or services which fall into those categories and which use AI have to meet certain high-risk requirements. Uh, and those could be quite onerous. They're things around record-keeping, 
the things around the purity of the data sets, um, uh, you know, various other requirements. And the second is that the product or service has to be assessed for conformity with those requirements, either by the business itself or the public authority itself, actually, or by a external third party, a notified body in some cases. There are then two sort of lower risk categories under the regulation. So limited risk, that, that really covers products or services with which users interact uh, and where they need to understand that they're interacting with, for example, an AI-enabled chatbot. So the focus there is really on transparency-based obligations. And then finally, there's a category of minimal risk products, where, which are frankly are, are largely excluded from the regulation. I guess the slight concern for those lower risk categories is that there's a possibility of mission creep. And I say that because Article 69 of the AI regulation foresees codes of conduct being drawn up that could be applied to limited and medium risk systems and which are intended to reflect the requirements for higher risk systems uh, that I mentioned, so record keeping, transparency and so on. And so uh, I guess the risk would be that some of the tougher requirements that apply to high risk use cases could come in by the back door for lower risk use cases. Thanks, Andrew. So it sounds like there are quite a few requirements that developers and users will have to think carefully about. Christoph, can you tell us more about some of your takeaways after an initial reading of the text? Yeah, I think what, what is notable about this new proposal for, for AI regulation is that it is a, a very comprehensive framework, something like you've basically never seen before. So there have been pieces of legislation which touched upon AI, but, but nothing really uh, covering all these angles that the EU Commission has targeted here. And uh, it starts with, for example, new requirements to implement risk management systems for uh, AI systems. And it's going to be exciting to see what, what this actually means, because nowadays, if companies are using AI, they're, of course, trying to effectively manage risk associated with it. So, for example, in autonomous driving, you, uh, of course, try to make decisions based on AI that do not cause an accident. Nevertheless, having a formalized legal requirement that sets out you must have a system in place is something totally different because this basically means the regulators and, and the lawmakers are telling you how to manage risk. And it's, it's going to be yeah, very difficult maybe for some companies uh, to fit their schemes and their oversight models to uh, what, what regulators will expect under the future uh, regime. And, and obviously this is something that you already need to consider now because now is the time when these systems and these technologies are being built. And if in a couple of years time this new regulation comes into force and then imposes wholly new structures for, for risk management, uh, this may be something that is counter to the approach you've taken. And quite similarly, there are new requirements around data and data governance. And um, everybody who's dealing with AI, maybe in big data analytics, uh, biometrics and, and other use cases, is nowadays already uh, putting very high scrutiny on, on how data is being used, how the governance around that is structured. Um, nevertheless, having this new additional framework is, is going to impose a couple of new requirements that we haven't seen before. For example, um, that there are provisions in this new proposal 
uh, that set out that uh, the data processing around the AI technology must be free of errors. So you must have error-free software that you're using and, and it must be complete. So what does that mean for a business? How do I ensure that my AI technology is free of errors? Because obviously a lot of AI tech is actually building on a risk-based approach. So autonomous driving, you can't ensure that there's 100% right decisions uh, so that it's error-free. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the development around that, how such stringent requirements are actually matching up with the technology that, that is being built right now. There are further, further new uh, issues arising, for example, quite many documentation and record-keeping requirements. So, so everybody who's familiar with, with the issue and everybody who's familiar with the AI space is already now uh, used to documenting quite a lot. On the one hand, from the risk perspective, in order to be prepared for potential litigation or potential investigations. And on the other hand, with regard to uh, legal requirements, such as under GDPR, where you have very high standards for accountability. Nevertheless, the new AI regulation imposes additional documentation requirements and, and these are actually quite novel features of that law because um, essentially all these documentation requirements, in particular around technical documentation, are saying even if you do everything right, even if the AI is risk-free, even if it's transparent and non-discriminatory, if you do not have the right documentation in your house, then already this is a case of non-compliance and we're going to talk about it a bit later what non-compliance means with this new AI regulation. So this is going to put a very high administrative burden on everybody developing AI and using AI, which will go way beyond the requirements that we are seeing now. Additionally, there are further requirements around transparency and information about the users of the AI, so uh, the end users, so to say. Uh, in particular, it must be clearly recognizable that users are dealing with AI technologies. And this is obviously something that needs to go into product design. So you have seen already, in particular with the smart assistants that we're seeing on the market, that there are already uh, moves into more transparency, but it's nothing that is regulated. So having more stringent requirements around that is something that, again, you probably already need to consider in your product design going forward, in particular if you're talking about longer product development cycles, for example, in the area of uh, autonomous driving or in-car entertainment, where usually you, you do not have these very fast product development cycles like you have with uh, software as a service, but where it sometimes takes two or three years to develop a new feature and then put it into the car. And one other aspect, that is going to be quite novel is the human oversight element. Namely, this new regulation requires that there must always be a capability of the AI to be overseen by humans. So we already know that from regulations such as GDPR, where you have provisions on profiling, which basically also infer that an element of human control is always going to be helpful to comply with GDPR. Nevertheless, it's not a stringent requirement to have that. And there are ways around that uh, if, if basically the feature you're building with AI yeah, doesn't make sense if there's human oversight. And imagine, again, features like autonomous driving technology or, or any kind of big data analytics. And if you now 
add in a human element, it might be something that is just so complex that human oversight won't really work. And again, it is something that everybody who's building products around AI must already be considering. So um, that there are control elements and ways for humans to interfere. And, and the question is really how, when, and, and maybe also why uh, you're going to do that. To sum it up, basically, it's new provisions on risk management, new data governance provision, new documentation standards on the technical and the record keeping side. It is transparency and last but not least, oversight. There is way more, as I said, in this regulation, for example, uh, in particular around security of AI systems, etc. However, I would not consider them so novel because there is already regulation around that, for example, GDPR or the NIST directive for critical infrastructure that are already imposing a very high standard of security actually on these providers. Um, so, so this is something that they used to. But nevertheless, as said, that there are other, other new requirements which are totally new uh, and, and which, which are going to be a game changer. The AI regulation doesn't address the question of civil liability for what happens where something goes wrong with a product or a service that uses AI or, or related questions of insurance. And there's been plenty of discussion at EU level about how, for example, the current product liability regime should be reformed. Uh, in order to deal with the risks posed by new and emerging technologies, including AI. But it's pretty unclear at the moment where that's got to. In the explanatory notes to this new proposal, the Commission has said that the AI regulation is part of a, quote, wider comprehensive package of measures, unquote, uh, that will address problems posed by the development and use of AI. And that's consistent with the white paper on AI that it published in February 2020. So, so I guess the message is, watch this space in terms of other proposals, which, while they may not be as sort of far-reaching as this AI regulation, they could still turn out to be very important for industry. Clearly, the sanctions are also a very important part of this draft proposal, and the requirements are actually more stringent even than those in the GDPR. We're looking at um, 6% of annual turnover, or up to 30 million euros. Christoph, can you tell us a little bit more about how you see that regime playing out and some of the other key aspects of those provisions? It was a big shocker for, for everybody in, in the AI business to, to see uh, fines in these spheres. Given we're dealing with 4% of uh, annual turnover under GDPR, the 6% is obviously something. And we've seen these discussions play out now in a couple of GDPR fine proceedings where you see that the, the trend is moving into the direction that uh, really the turnover of the group is the, the relevant denominator. And so, so basically, even if you have a very small AI business within a big corporate group, then you're still looking at the turnover of the corporate group to determine the fines. And furthermore, I think what also must be taken into account is that not only the fines are obviously a big risk factor, but also other risks for AI providers, namely, if they're not complying with this regulation, then it may be the case that products have to be taken off the market. And th this can be mission critical for business, either if AI is, is a major revenue stream and, and you've invested heavily into it, or if uh, you're in the consumer space where you're simply talking about a very large number of devices or uh, software solutions that are out in the market and, and recalling them basically. Like, for example, 
looking at uh, our prime example, autonomous driving again, if you have to recall all the cars uh, that, that are out there because um, software solutions for AI are considered uh, as non-compliant, um, then, then this is obviously a big challenge. Therefore, I, I think similar to the discussions we, we had around GDPR, it's going to be very important for businesses to have a voice in this legislative process and to try to make clear that some high-risk applications might be riskier than others and that some cases of non-compliance might be, might be more or less severe. And, and I think it's going to be very important to, to have this distinction to ensure that these 6% fines, if, if they are coming, that they are reserved only for cases of, of very, very severe misconduct um, from companies that you typically wouldn't expect, hopefully, from the major players on the market. Thanks, Christoph. It sounds like the industry has a lot to grapple with going forward, um, although it will take some time for the legislation to actually be applicable. And, and maybe that's a, a good opportunity for me to maybe focus a li little bit more on, on that process and on the politics around it at the EU level. Um, I'm sure many of you will remember that this legislation was actually supposed to come out in the new commission's first 100 days in office. So that would have actually been early 2020. So we're a little bit a little bit behind on that initial target. But very early on, this European Commission saw a future regime on AI as a very important step in its plans to really put the EU on the map in terms of tech and, and data policy with a focus very much on human-centric AI that would provide a counterpoint to some of the other approaches being taken around the globe. And certainly harnessing industrial data in particular is an integral part of the EU's industrial strategy, which also feeds into a much broader network of initiatives that are intended to set the EU on a path to winning the race on non-personal data and really setting standards at international level in the same way as, as GDPR. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting observation about uh, this regulation potentially becoming or setting a new international standard. That's clearly what the EU hopes will happen, as, as has been the case to some extent for GDPR, for example. And actually, for any business which is selling AI-enabled products or services, to consumers or to businesses in the EU, it will be the standard that they have to comply with wherever they're based. But I think the EU must also be hoping that the new AI regulation does become a model for regulation of AI globally, because if it doesn't, then, you know, as many commentators have pointed out, there's a real risk that it will hinder innovation in the EU as compared with other markets. So say in five years time, you're a small startup in Paris or Bucharest, and you have a great idea for a new consumer product that uses biometric recognition, the regulatory burden that you would face under this new regime will be pretty significant. And, and that may not be the case if you're located elsewhere. And that's the great fear, I guess. At the same time, I think the EU is quite right that in order for AI technologies to be widely adopted or to be confidently adopted, um, there has to be trust by the public, by consumers uh, in those technologies and that requires regulation. So, so, so the EU has been trying to strike a really difficult balance there, I think, between regulation on the one hand and, and innovation on the other, although I think they would probably say that, that, that that's not an either or. You need clear regulation in order to encourage consumer trust, public trust, and therefore innovation and a market for, for these products. So although the EU has been forging its own path, 
often seen as anti-US and anti-big tech, especially if you take into account this widely accepted notion these days of open strategic autonomy. The EU is now also beginning to sort of reset its relationship in particular with the US, with the new administration. So it'll be interesting to see how this proposal fits into that ambition. And in the same week as the EU proposal came out, um, the US FTC put out its own guidance on AI, which I think some commentators feel is maybe a signal um, of potential alignment in terms of a more offensive stance towards some of the big tech firms. Although there is a difference in focus with the US being a rather more consumer protection focus, while the EU is really honing in on fundamental rights and, and notions such as privacy. So there is some competition, I would say, in the leadership market, and there will be some frictions considering that most of the world's biggest AI providers are, in fact, um, you know, coming from, from the US. There's also going to be some battlegrounds uh, at EU level, and it's clear that in the European Parliament, for example, the use of AI in law enforcement, there's been lots of uh, members of the European Parliament commenting that the exceptions in that regard are far too broad, that there is too much self-assessment in the legislation for too many AI applications. And so we can expect them to really focus on some of those fundamental rights issues. So in terms of businesses and what they can actually do from now on, I would say it's really still all to play for. And we're looking at probably 18 months or so of intense inter-institutional negotiations. They may not start examining the text straight away, and we are experiencing quite a few delays, especially in the European Parliament, where committees have been very active in the pre-legislative phase on AI and all have been putting out various reports. So there is competition as to who actually gets to be in the lead on this one. And in addition, the draft does provide for 24 months of implementation before it actually comes into force. So it all seems quite far away. But in reality, I think, as Christoph also mentioned, businesses will have to start thinking very early on about the kinds of choices they make based already on these draft rules, factoring them into the design processes early on. And the rules could also have quite an impact globally. Um, and, and will this become the next international standard? So thank you all very much for taking the time to listen to this first podcast. We hope to see you back here for our future insights on AI. Thank you very much. And thanks also to Christoph and Andrew for sharing their first impressions.